0: to 50% on washer and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now.
1: Well, here we are, best and brightest. It's the JLE News on the Blaze Radio Network. And today, so as not to take any chances, we have installed At great expense, we have installed these newfangled devices called telephones. 1-888-900-3393. These telephones are for the purpose of you commenting, questioning, complaining, as I knew you were wont to do yesterday. Who will be the bravest to call 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th today. Don't make me call you. I'll do it, you know. I will repeat yesterday's questions, but you don't need to wait for that because I think you heard them. Excelsior! Welcome back, best and brightest, my radio partners, my radio family. Here it is, D-Day, debate day, the one for which we are best known, if perhaps with exception the day after debate day. But here we do pre-analysis like no one else does. And pre-analysis is the business of analysis in advance. We're the ones who know enough and care enough to sit and say, okay, what needs to happen tonight for some of these candidates? Some of these candidates we don't care about. We won't do pre-analysis for everyone, but we'll do pre-analysis for most. Tonight, uh, I will be doing five events, three broadcast shows from the blaze, uh, all three with you. We have the first debate from five to seven to eight Eastern. Pardon me. Our first blaze after dark with Skip and Doc and moi. We join you at eight o'clock Eastern. We go for an hour until nine o'clock Eastern, which is the beginning of the big boy pants debate. Although those pants may be a bit shorter if Donald Trump does not as threatened shows up. Then the big boy pants debate of whatever pant length, of whatever hem length will occur and immediately upon its conclusion. Then Skip and Doc and I will join you again live immediately. And Ty, you too, right? Yes, sir. And Ty will be there as well. Uh, and we'll join you when they say goodnight and we'll be there till uh, till midnight. Anyway, so it's a big night. The debate is, to put it in Donald's words, well, to put it in the ghost of debate future. It's huge. It's huge. And we'll make them pay. So I'm going to turn yesterday's show on its head a little bit. It was a frustration for me that you were unable to call because I later learned that the, the attempts, were the phone lines were burning up. But something was preventing the calls from actually reaching the studio line. And I know that as frustrating as it was for me, it was far more frustrating for you. And so I invite you, perhaps more than any other day thus far, that we have been a partnership to use your office number. I'm going to ask you the questions about the debate one through 10 that I have. They are a guideline only. You may ask or answer any you wish, any of your own device. You may ignore them entirely. You may make a complaint or talk about the migratory waterfowl of sub-Saharan Africa and their mating habits, if you wish. That's okay, too, as ever. It's your phone line. But... Usually, I would ask you to wait a while so I can get a few of these things out. Well, I've already gotten them out. If you weren't here yesterday, I'm sorry. Uh, So You may not get a full rendering of the 10 questions. But what matters most is that all of you who wished to have called yesterday are able to get on the air today. We have one line open, and that's talk show lie for... All of our lines are open at one triple eight nine hundred three 888 900 3393 900 3393 here on the Blaze Radio Network. You call, you will be on the air. There are millions of best and brightest who also may be undecided. I don't mean also along with you, but also along with uh, evidently More than a third of Iowa caucus goers who still don't know whom they're supporting. And not to insult Iowans, but I'm sorry, how do you not know who you're for? If you're sufficiently interested to be a caucus goer, how do you not know on Thursday for whom you are voting on Monday? I don't know. It's a wonder to me, but it's a mystery we hope to solve via this dream line. 1-888-900-3393. Here are the questions. Be guided by them, I hope, or not. Question number one. A de-Trumped debate will have what effect? What, is, what do you believe is the general impact, now having had 24 hours to ponder it, what do you believe will be the general influences, if any, of Trump's absence if, in fact, he's absent? Question number two, and you, this is the time to call because I'm going to, the, I'm going to finish the next minute and a half and then go to our first break. And then I'll come back to the calls uh, if you call. So the time to call would be now, One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. 900 3393 If I say it again, I'm going to sound like Bill O'Reilly begging Donald Trump last night to come back to the debate. And by the way, I am not criticizing Bill because he was loyal. He was being loyal to his own instincts and his own network by trying to be the guy who could reasonably get Trump back into the Fox debate now I've heard people uh, 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 criticize Bill O'Reilly today for that but that criticism is sorely misplaced O'Reilly was doing the right thing in terms of his journalistic instincts and in terms of his loyalty to Roger Ailes his loyalty to his company that's my view question number two If Trump does not show up, how does this help or hurt Trump? Does this help or hurt Trump? If, and I want to add this because I was the first one to say it, if I were still a producer, I would tell Trump, cut a last minute deal. Don't tell anybody. Let them start the debate. And wait till Ted Cruz's opening remarks, till the middle of his opening remarks, and about three or four minutes into the broadcast, you stride onto the stage waving. It will be as if the Beatles, all alive, Elvis and Gandhi, all showed up at once somewhere. Even the people who don't like him will be applauding wildly. His opponents will be applauding. The moderators will be completely in a state of shock. No one will know what to do. Wait, did I say no one will know what to do? Someone will know what to do. Know who it'll be? Donald Trump.
2: The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now.
2: The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: And only with my partners, and only when we have telephones at one triple eight nine hundred three 888 900 3393 3393 We have both partners and telephones. Lisa from Florida, without further ado, welcome.
3: Hey, Jay, how are you?
1: I am well, Lisa. All the better for your call, I am sure.
3: Quick question. Yesterday you were talking about the, advertised, the advertising rates. And yes. because Trump earns a lot, he brings a lot more money to the table. And if he didn't yes. show those, advertising spots would not be as as, as expensive.
1: Right. Aren't the rumor was yesterday that-, that Fox was getting a million dollars a minute for uh, any ads uh, placed within the debate, and that that dropped to somewhere in the vicinity of a hundred thousand dollars. Or that whatever...
3: go by in, in, you know, weeks before?
1: Oh, I mean, nothing is said. Oh,
3: <laughs> okay.
1: This is life, you know? When someone has paid you uh, $275,000 for a spot and someone calls you up and says, Chevy has to have this spot. The NFL has to have this spot. We'll give you a million one for it. And you, some junior ad exec, has to call up, you know, somebody and say, uh, "There's been some terrible mistake, but we're okay. we're going to give you two free spots in uh, the Saturday morning cartoons." <laughs>
3: That makes that
1: makes complete sense
3: because I just like, wait a minute. I thought this was all like contracts and cast in stone and all that kind of good stuff.
1: In 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 th- in theory, it is, but it's only theory when it comes to money. All right, dear. I appreciate. Thanks for the explanation. Oh, Lisa, thank you for your. That's a very uh, that's a very eclectic thing in which to be interested. I salute you for that. Thank you very much. Tom is next. He's calling from the great state of No Carolina.
3: Hey, good afternoon,
1: Jay. Home of the next Super Bowl champions.
3: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good afternoon. Hey, I've got a question. It should be pretty simple. Some of the most highest-rating game shows in the United States have had the opportunity to have soundproof booths and questions that would be more appropriate for a four-year college grad, since they are applying for a job, I see manipulation by the people that are asking the questions, childish questions. Why is it that since they're interviewing for a job that they can't be in a soundproof booth and a complicated question be put forth and give each candidate equal opportunity to answer the question instead of manipulation, asking who they want, the questions that they want, that should be taken away from the media. That is manipulation, and Trump sees that. Not only does Trump see it, but the only candidate, and I'm not tossing my hat in front of any of them, The only candidate that answered with any kind of intelligence was the doctor, where he brought up the fact that something that we ignore, and that is an attack on our electrical grid. Um, We need some desperate changes. I would please me if everybody walked out tonight because (laughs) it's manipulation. It is nothing more than manipulation of putting in the GOP who would be best beneficial for great stories in the future. But if they can do Tom, this on game shows, I think it would be successful to put Carly arena to the same question of everybody else, just like Huckabee, and let everybody answer equal. I think that would be right. a more fair and quicker roundabout
1: clause. to I wish to compliment you and offer you... forthwith, uh, by virtue of the authority placed in me by absolutely nobody, your battlefield command right now as commander, uh, just on the basis of that question. I don't know if you have any idea how good a question uh, yours is because it applies absolutely bang on to what you're talking about. But it also applies bang on to, to the essence of what some people, including your humble host, who i don't know if I ever mentioned i founded my uh my grade school civics club and newspaper ty did I ever mention that before i don't think so no well i'm glad I'm glad I mentioned it now then tom that your question is the same question as why does the network news at night manipulate the news that they pick and the slant that they put on it, and why does it always favor one point of view? What, one, what, and I don't want to get waylaid, but I, I would use this as, as an example right now the question being covered by the mainstream media about letting in the poor, pitiable migrants and refugees— Yes. On In American mainstream media, all you see is sympathetic spots with poor people suffering and, oh, how could you even think of not letting them in? And the people, the politicians who are considering putting up roadblocks to letting them in are portrayed as heartless fascists and pigs. And Absolutely. meanwhile, the the actual news... The actual things that are occurring in real life is that the pitiable refugees are raping, stabbing, shooting, stealing, marauding, Absolutely. running wild. It, have, they have changed the face of old Europe in the course of two months. And, and, and we do not see that story. All right, let me return now to the immediate. Your question, Tom, is the same question about that is why do we not hear about what the uh, Afghani... Yesterday, a 14-year-old Afghani boy stabbed to death a 22-year-old Swedish girl during an argument while she was giving him free stuff in a refugee center. Yesterday, 10 Swedish police were beaten back by a mob of young male Afghani refugees who were trying to kill the police because the police came to a house to rescue a 10-year-old boy. The 10-year-old boy was the house. uh, They were raping the 10-year-old boy. The men in the house were raping the 10-year-old boy every day. And they found out about it, and the Swedish police came to rescue the boy, and they were beaten back with bottles, stones, glass, knives, uh, and the 10 police ran away in Sweden because they figured if they used force. All right, again, not to get waylaid, this is how important your question is. It's about the media and the way it works. And we are going to see a lot of changes after this year, Tom, exactly because smart people like you are asking smart questions like that. It's not going to be without some disappointments. For instance, I think we may have seen the last Iowa caucus, Tom, the way it used to be. I don't know if we'll ever again see an Iowa caucus a caucus be I the way it correct. used to be. A lot of correct. things are going to change, but the net effect, my friend, of that change, y- you know, even though we will have to give up some things that we would rather keep, I think the net effect of the change that your most astute question ponders is is actually a good thing because we're sick of it and we're not going to put up with it anymore. And we see that these peoples are louts and liars and criminals, and they're stealing our money and ruining our country, and we're not gonna put up with it anymore. And Uh, your question is evidence that there are Americans out there aware of it who have decided that politics ain't their business, but America
2: is Jay Severin the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: And these are you, my partners, at 1-888-900-3393. Partners on the phone before I get there. Let me mention, question number one, how does Donald Trump's absence, if indeed he does not show up, how does his absence affect this whole thing? The, the evening and the race. With four days left to go. Two, how does it hurt or help Trump? Three, how does it help or hurt his opponents? Which ones? Four, is it an acceptable downside? And one might say, evidently it is. One might say, asked and answered, sir, is it a downside for Donald Trump he's willing to put up with that he will be the goalie for a dart team in absentia? That this will be three hours of people slamming Donald Trump without him being there to slap them back or to tame their zeal of attack because they're worried he's going to cuff them? He's going to backhand them right there on the stage. Is that something he's willing to put up with? Bonus toss-up question there. And do you think later, as I most ardently believe, that Trump is going to do a response to every word said against him tonight if he's not there? And he may wait and do it tomorrow or the next day or on the eve of the caucuses? Or you know what? He may have a television set in front of him. You know what he might do? You know again, were I as producer, strategist, you know what I tell him to do? Tonight's event would at least in part consist of Donald Trump standing there next to a large screen TV, and the debate would be on the large screen TV. And it would be broadcast. Donald watching the large screen TV along with his audience at Drake University. And every time anybody said anything, especially against Donald, about which he wanted to comment, he would stop the tape and stick a thousand knives in the eyeballs of whoever said it. Why would I do that? Because it would be terrific theater. Final question for the moment. Question number five. No one else has been asking this. Have you heard anyone else ask this other than on this show? 48 hours ago, Donald Trump was asked for the first time in an open press conference a question something like this. You spoke about Clintons and Monica Lewinsky. What about your infamous sexual and marital infidelities? that are well-known. What about your affairs while you were married that were splashed out all over the pages of the, the American papers everywhere while you were married? Aren't you the candidate of the evangelicals? Aren't you the guy who has nothing wrong to talk about with the big guy, with with two, with two maybe three, maybe three of the Corinthians, you know? Is that a question having made it through the surface of the water for the first time? Is that maybe, in addition to everything else, a particular question and answer that Donald Trump looks at and says, whoa, I don't need that. If I can get through Monday without answering that question, I, I would really prefer to. Two Corinthians or otherwise. Uh... Who's calling from Texas? I'm sorry. I can't understand my own handwriting. Robert, I'm sorry. Welcome back, I believe it is.
4: Yes, this is uh, Robert Jennings in Cedar Park.
1: Ah, Robert, welcome back.
4: Uh, yes, sir. Uh, the, the reason for my call, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Trump and not the debate, in the debate, and all of that. And we keep forgetting that no one is talking about Hillary, and, and we need to be focusing on beating, beating her. And I, I, I want to lighten up the moment. Tell you, what, I made up uh, probably the best joke ever regarding Hillary. You remember how she was late to the debate? As
1: your media consultant, remember I told you this lesson: always try to lower expectations. But the- <laughs> go ahead.
4: <clears throat> well, we remember she was late to the her debate. She's in the restroom, and we could have a commercial, 10-second commercial, the famous "Whose hand do you want to pick up the phone at three a.m.?" And in the background, right after that. You hear the toilet flushy. <laughs> Maybe I should quit my day job.
1: I think that'd be a good idea. Uh, no, let, let, let me help you out here.
3: <laughs>
1: Robert, I do appreciate the, the, uh, the effort, but I'll tell you what, you get a gold star on the premise of the original, the framework of the original question. You're right. Talking about Hillary, thinking about Hillary is the one thing that we've not spent a lot of time on, which I believe with all my heart and soul that if Donald Trump, given who he is, what he is, how he has campaigned, everything, whole ball of wax, if Iowa, if Iowa caucuses go for Donald Trump. The key question in their mind in this process was beating Hillary. Who can beat Hillary in a general election? I think. Yes. I think that's the only reason. Now, there could be a lot of other reasons in a lot of other states, you know, under a lot of other circumstances. But when you look at Iowa and Iowans and who lives there and how they vote and why they vote – if they if Donald Trump wins caucuses, if he gets more people to go out and stand in the church basement for three or four hours on Monday night for him, then anybody else on that stage does like like again, I'm a partisan because I'm for someone. But there's no one seriously that can argue that that he's the most conservative candidate in the race. I mean, I, I, I could go a little further and say there's no one who could seriously argue he's a conservative. That's a matter of blind faith. That's a matter of believing that he will be what he intermittently claims he will be. Whereas there is a guy who we already know with metaphysical certitude has been and is and thus is reliably likely to be continue to be a conservative if donald trump wins the iowa caucuses uh, robert that's because people sat down looked at this and said we can beat the democrats especially hillary with no conventional politician we need to beat a freak show with a freak show and i really don't mean that in it in as as the way it sounds i don't mean to be uh unkind to donald trump but he he is a kind of modern day civic circus maximus circus act and i believe it's going to take that to beat any democrat especially hillary and i assume that's what iowans are thinking of if in a few nights donald trump wins and you and I, Robert, and thank you so much for the call, you and I and every one of us have to start pondering the question. And the question is, tie break a little early here, I, I, I just have one thing to say. The question, which we'll pick up on the other side as we go back to the phones and Patrick et al., the choice is this. Do you want a criminal communist or do you want a postmodern populist whatever that turns out to be with strong overtones of fascism
2: Jay Severin The Blaze Radio Network The Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: It's the huge debate. I'm going to build a radio wall and make the Mexicans pay. And so will Skip LaCombe and Doc Thompson, who join me at uh, 8, and then again immediately upon the conclusion of the big boy debate for our two Blaze After Dark analysis shows this very night. Rance is kind enough to remind me via Twitter of uh, a recent quote. I'm certainly not going to deny it. Uh, You know, I speak 80,000 words a week. I I certainly can't remember them uh, exactly, but uh, this is not a defense, by the way. Uh, Rance has me saying, two Corinthians, this is in the voice of Donald Trump, I presume, Rance. Two Corinthians walk onto a used car lot. One says, you, do you got my chariot? Is that what you's like? Uh, which, you know, ain't stretching it much. We are the night of the last debate before the first primary, which is a caucus. It couldn't be bigger, although the dynamics are obviously radically changed. Tonight is the night to hold or slightly improve your position if you are Trump or Cruz. Tonight is the night that you must strengthen your position for a surprise loss. That is to say you lose in New Hampshire, but you still place or show or come in fourth. You somehow distinguish yourself from the pack. That is combined with the group that needs to start running in New Hampshire now. And the best way they can do that is with this debate tonight. They're actually debating tonight for New Hampshire. They know that Iowa is a lost cause. This is the first New Hampshire debate. Remember that keenly. This is the first New Hampshire debate for most of the candidates. For all but two or three of the candidates, other than Trump, Cruz, Rubio, I'm guessing, and Carson, who is my guest to get the surprise resuscitation ticket punched. But other than the top two to three candidates, tonight is their first New Hampshire debate. And then there is the final group. The desperation group. The desperate, the desperados. The desperados know that they will have a series of opportunities tonight. Odds are all of them will fail miserably. And their objective will be to put the ball up. It will be a Doug Flutie Hail Mary. It will be the last two balls of the season that. Uh, the Green Bay Packer quarterback through 10 days ago, Aaron Rodgers. And thank you, Ty. I can imagine how I forgot his name. But that's it. That's it. That's their chance. That's guys that are somehow still on that stage uh, and or on the little boy stage. And their last chance is to put the ball every time they get it. They're going to take the ball in the gun, and they're going to let it go. They got to put the ball up and hope for the hail mary, while praying to Mary. Patrick from Florida, thank you for your patience. Welcome back.
4: I appreciate you having me on, Jay. It's always a thank pleasure. Thank you, Patrick. A um, couple, a couple of, couple of points. Um, you know, as far as, uh, as far as you know, Fox and and uh, you know Trump and the whole thing.
1: Uh, they, Who's Fox that little libertarian to- in the background?
4: <laughs> That's my son, he's three. not uh, right he, uh, three is a good yeah, thing to I be.
1: Get...
4: Oh for him it is for sure he's uh he's all boy <laughs> <laughs> well, but God bless um
1: you. you know they
4: they have shown their own faith. I mean you know you're talking about all the hypocrisy with what they're doing and the uh giving a voice to the uh to the migrants uh and the refugees and the whole thing. It's a. Uh, right. It's just a. It's a tone. It's a tone deafness that uh, you know Fox has, been, that just puts them along with the rest of the media. It's just. It's absurd. You know, that, Patrick. At the, know, end, the American people, I really don't yeah.
1: blame. Having Having played this game, I'm like your NFL color guy. I'm the guy who played, you know, and I may be as dumb as a post, but I'm the guy in the booth that tells you. Yeah, well, I remember when, uh, you know, this guy did this to me in the 72 playoffs. You know, I've sure. played this game for my living, uh, for my lifetime. And the one thing I must tell you, Mike, whenever I come closest to the conclusion of these things, I don't really blame anybody. I mean, I blame the system, and they it is imperfect. But you know what? Everybody had a chance to speak. And I know the media sucks, the media's biased, the debates are imperfect, the process is imperfect. Everything, everyone involved with the process of presenting the candidates to us is admittedly imperfect. But at the end of the day, Patrick, they all had their chance to, you know, more or less, they all had a chance to speak. And we're getting down to those final moments now where everybody knows everybody on the stage and few minds will be changed.
2: The Jay Severin Show, only on the the Blaze Radio Radio Network. Network.
1: This is the Blaze Radio Network, making us the JLE News, making me, Jay Severin, and you the best and brightest It's a very special day. We do one every four years. Excelsior. Welcome back, my friends, my broadcast partners. I am Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Our office number, one hundred three three nine three. 900 3393 We never close. one hundred three three nine three. 900 3393 Especially tonight, I will be uh, tweeting brutal commentary and analysis uh, all night long. Well, not all night long, but it's going to seem that way to me and you if you're reading them. Uh, The polls close in just less than three hours, seven o'clock Eastern time. I don't think it's going to be an early night. And I think that derivative of what I've already said, and that is, I think you take the bell curve, you know, take a curve and then put your hand on it and crush it down so that it's kind of flat. I mean, take a, Take a wedding cake. Now, Hillary Clinton would know exactly what I'm talking about because she's on the wedding cake diet. She eats eight of them a day. Can you imagine she eats eight of them a day and can still look like that? Yes. Mm. Uh, So you take a wedding cake and you crush it down. Take it like a big pan and crush it down. And what you've got is a flat cake, about two inches high. That's what you've got, I think, with the vote here. I think that the vote is so close between who finishes second and who finishes eighth that it's going to be within the margin of error. Now, how they're going to determine that early, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that can be done. Uh, I Then again, then again, there's always the possibility there's a first time for everything. I could be incorrect. You never know. You'll want to be here for that. Eve of the New Hampshire results, not the primary, not Eve anymore, just the Eve of the results. And tomorrow we will know a lot more about who goes on, who goes home. How many passports out of New Hampshire will be issued to go to South Carolina? And how many people tomorrow will be home sleeping in their own beds, fitfully, unhappily? Usually it's a good thing when you finally get home. Is there anything better than when you finally get home from a long trip and you get to sleep in your own bed? It's the best. Except when you've just gotten home from Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina and your political life has been crushed out of you. It it ain't beanbag, my friends. Now, uh, we have a partner on the phone. Before I do that, Suzanne was kind enough to write and ask why is New Hampshire first? Why does New Hampshire get to be first? And do you know, Suzanne? My apologies. That was the very first thing in my the very first thing at the top of my notes today. Because tomorrow, no one's going to care about stuff like this for four years. And I did want to pass along. I think one last fact about New Hampshire. It, could you answer the question if asked? why is New Hampshire the first primary in the nation? Could you answer the question, why will New Hampshire be the first next time? And after that, too? Why is New Hampshire first? Why do they get to be first? Suzanne, it's a very astute question, and the answer is, New Hampshire, the people of New Hampshire, the businesses of New Hampshire, the political structure... Of New Hampshire, the politicians of New Hampshire, the ongoing concern that is the commercial entity known as the state of New Hampshire probably makes as much in the three weeks, two weeks, no, one week, one week between Iowa and New Hampshire. They probably make a considerable uh, portion of income restaurants dry cleaners coffee houses motels rent-a-car the wheels of commerce right they probably make as much money and get as much attention and the politicians get on tv everyone's ha- everyone gets what they want for a week between iowa and new hampshire probably as much as they make all summer in in the in the tourist trade that's an exaggeration but it gets you know, close to understanding and appreciating why they love this. New Hampshire loves the national attention, the influence, the money, the role. It's all good, right? It's all good. Who wouldn't love to have that? Suzanne, the honest answer is a lot of states would love to have it. And a lot of states have been making the argument for several years now Whether or not you think we ought to have it first, and we could be Texas, we could be North Carolina, we could be Wisconsin, we could be a lot of states. But one thing common to their argument is, especially because we're the Democrat Party, what in the ding-dong hell are we doing having the first primary in the nation in a state that is all rural— and all white New Hampshire's 94 percent white after tonight at seven in in two hours and 47 minutes listen to this one in two hours and 47 minutes the rest of the electorate between now and the next president being elected the electorate in two hours and 47 minutes becomes. 44% non-white. Two hour, As of two hours and 46 minutes from right now, the rest of the electorate that the Democrat participants will face in their primaries becomes 44% non-white. As a matter of fact, I think that's true of the Republicans as well, uh, or certainly to a large degree, because New Hampshire is 94% white. Iowa, I think, is 93 percent white. So a lot of states have argued, why should New Hampshire get this honor and money and influence and attention, especially because they're a state, the voters of which don't know or care anything about immigration, poverty, race, police brutality. They would Beyonce would say, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That is to say, New Hampshire is maybe the least representative state of the people who make up the bulk of the Democrat party. So why in the world would they get this honor or or not only honor, but why would we pretend that they measure somehow the feelings, the sentiments, the values of the overall Democrat party across the country? Suzanne, by now you may be thinking I don't know, but it's one heck of a good argument, and it is, isn't it? Well, the answer, at least for now, is, as I tweeted back to you, New Hampshire has been challenged for this honor. And the state of, I think it was Wisconsin, changed its primary to January 21st or something. Um. New Hampshire immediately convened the state legislature and changed its primary back to January 10th and announced to the United States, we will never give up, number one. We, Our legislature, understanding exactly how valuable to our state this primary is, first in the nation status primary is, we will make a law, and they did, by the way, the law is there now. New Hampshire made a law saying we will always be first. The, the legislature of the state of New Hampshire will always be convened and will always pick a date prior to the earliest other date, even if it means we have the primary in the preceding year. Now, this is for true. This is for real. I've met Bill Gardner, the oldest sex serving secretary of state in the United States of America. We're squash partners. No, kidding. I quit because he was beating me all the time. He's much more nimble. Uh, Bill Gardner, Secretary of State, New Hampshire, has said this, and I heard him say it within the last few days. We will always be first because of our law. And they do indeed, Suzanne, have a law. New Hampshire's legislature is law-bound to convene and move the New Hampshire primary to be the first in the nation, even if they have to move it, to the year before election year. They'll go back as many months th- as need be in order to be first. You must admire that pluck.
2: J. Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: These are my partners. Who's booking flights for South Carolina tomorrow? I believe uh, Trump's already out of there. Uh, Some people, again, we talked about this. How soon do you leave the state? Some people have left. Some people will spend the night, but not many will. They'll be on charters. They'll be out of there tonight, probably the moment the polls close. It's a very early state. Poll closure 7 p.m. Eastern. Those charter flights will be zing, zang, boom, bang, out of there for South Carolina. What happens if Hillary wins? Can you imagine what happens if Hillary wins? And, and you know what? She's made a very smart move. She doesn't think she can win there, which is maybe the reason she stayed. Hillary could have gone to South Carolina, you know, 10 days ago. That would be on paper, the smart move. But she stayed, and the story and her words are the same at every stop. And that is, New Hampshire is part of this process. Everybody gets their say. I couldn't imagine skipping a state. I won't do that to you. I wouldn't do it to me. So... I think she's building goodwill, not just in New Hampshire, but, but elsewhere. But you know why she has the luxury to do that? Well, because I ask you this. Wither Bernie. This is the real this turns into one of the real, real big questions starting tomorrow when we convene. What about Boiney? You best You toity, toity, toy you bastards! What about Boyney? Where does Bernie go? Where does Bernie go now? On paper, according to every article, every element, everything holy in politics, it says that a socialist from Vermont heads south, And he might as well keep going south, right to, like, the villages down in Florida. Get a nice little one-bedroom condo. It's God's waiting room. Stay there, Bernie, because politically, you're about to die. That's what conventional wisdom says. A A socialist from Vermont cannot win South Carolina, the most conservative state in America. Can he? Because the real question is is not what happens if Bernie wins tonight in New Hampshire and it's not even what happens if Hillary wins tonight. The real question is what happens when Bernie turns south? There is not another state south of the Mason-Dixon line virtually none that Bernie should win. Yet Suppose he does. If Bernie gives Hillary Clinton a real fight in South Carolina, and I mean, but God for God forbid, should he win, but not even not even winning, if he just gives her a, a fight in South Carolina, this turns into something in this is entirely different ball game. We're now at a cricket match on the Democrat side. Not a baseball game as we know it anymore. We've talked about fear of flying too low. Get it? It's an old reference. I appreciate Donald Trump tonight. His problem is that he's been too far ahead. He now has to win and he has to win convincingly. That's why in the last few days you've seen Donald Trump giving interviews saying, look, I'll be happy to win in new hampshire even if i win by a vote if i win by one vote i'll be really happy he won't of course but when your pollster comes to you and says we're five points up you're really happy when your pollster comes to you and says we're 10 points up you're ecstatic when your pollster comes to you and says we're 30 points up you throw up in a bucket because you can't win by 30 points and if you win by less than the highest stated previous number, you lost, because that's the cruelty of American media. So what Trump is worried about tonight is winning by too little, in which case the media is going to open up major arteries on him and bleed him. Is Chris still with us? No. Oh, sorry. Sorry uh, to lose you, Chris. Try again if you wish. So that's the problem, if such it be, for Trump. And the next is, we won't talk about this until tomorrow, but I'm going to mention it. Today, the former mayor of New York and another confirmed communist, Michael Bloomberg, confirms, he has personally confirmed that he is deliberating a presidential run right now, third party. Now, the big question we will consider is, who does that take votes from? If Bloomberg runs, does he take substantial votes away from Democrats or Republicans? I believe I know the answer. I believe you probably do, too. And I believe I will preview that answer for you, tease you a little, by putting this to you. If Bloomberg puts New York State in play by running, because right now New York State is the wholly owned subsidiary of the Democrat Party. And whether it's Hillary, who I still think it will be, or Boyney, you bested, they own New York. The Democrats don't get New York in terms of the Electoral College. What gives the Democrats their biggest angle on the presidency via the Electoral College is starting out knowing they've got New York and California. It didn't used to be. They've always had New York. They're all commies there. I know I'm a New Yorker, Uh, but they used to have California in play in my lifetime. California was a winnable state for Republicans. No more. And probably never again, because it's really now Cala, Mexico. So the Republicans ain't winning Cala, Mexico. But imagine if you take half of and the second biggest delegate total in the Electoral College off the table. Suppose Bernie, I'm sorry, suppose Bloomberg runs and causes New York to be put in play. Just something else for them to worry about. We don't need to worry about that tonight. But the Democrats do. Um, Interesting that John Kasich said yesterday, we need, he was asked about his foreign policy. His response was, we need to tell nations, if you attack us, you know, first, if you nuke us, if you attack us, we have the capability to attack back. Are you kidding me? We need to tell nations, if you attack us, we have the capability to attack back. The capability, that's as strong as you want to go. You think this is a message to them? You think this is a deterrent? No wonder Kasich will do well up there.
2: J7 on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin show on the blaze radio network.
1: One triple eight, 900 3393 It's primary day in New Hampshire. And you know, as important as this day would seem on the calendar and, and it is for us, the more, most important day or the more important day is tomorrow. Not today. Because when I say good night to you in less than half an hour, we still have to wait two hours for the polls to close tomorrow when we uh, join forces. Tomorrow is when we will know. We we may not know the end of it by tomorrow afternoon, but if that's how close I think some of this is going to be. <clears throat> but if we do know, oh, uh, tomorrow is the s'morgash board. for a little schmear of cheese. Gosh, no wait, s'more for. Uh, bread gosh for the little bit of butter from the Gosling and board for table S'more gosh board Norwegian ancient uh the goodwill of the campaign continued today Bush Bush called Trump a whiner and get this a loser only Bush doesn't pronounce it that way uh yes, Bush called Trump a whiner and a loser. Now this is either called sullying yourself or giving in to the realities of the marketplace. I'm I'm not sure which it is, but that's what he called him. <clears throat> Trump called Bush a pathetic person, an embarrassment to his family. And also repeated the uh, smear of a of an audience member who yelled out that Ted Cruz were switching players now. Okay, this was Bush and Trump, Trump and Bush. So Bush said Trump's a whiner and a loser. Uh, Trump said Bush is a pathetic person, embarrassment to his family. And then at a rally last night, a woman jumped up and called. Ted Cruz, a word that rhymes with, and by definition is intended to parallel the word "wussy." Only the word she used doesn't be, doesn't begin with a W. It begins with a different word in the alphabet, a different letter in the alphabet. So, uh, Trump made a point of saying, Now, now, you really shouldn't use that word. And then, of course, immediately used it. And, and I want again to call back just for a moment into question or as a reference point, the Severin doctrine on the matter of twerking. You remember my story? I was watching the you know, the Grammys or whatever they are. And Miley Cyrus came out and approximated sex with men on the stage. And I was slack jawed. And I looked around the room at my family and it fell to my oldest, then 13, I think to look at me and say, twerking da, It's, it's twerking. And I kind of nodded my head. Okay. This is political twerking. When someone stands up in... What, eight years ago, when John McCain was running against Barack saying Obama, do you remember McCain would not use Obama's middle name for fear of offending? Obama could use his middle name and did, but McCain... Wouldn't use it, refused to use it for fear he'd be accused of something on a scale of, uh, you know, impropriety to being uh, Islamophobe. So McCain never uttered the word Hussein during the entire campaign, though I happen to know his polling showed it would have helped him enormously. He still wouldn't have been president, but it would have helped him had he, but he wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. It was inappropriate. It was beyond the decorum of a candidate of president of the United States. Last night, just to show you, for someone who says there's no such thing as progress, last night someone jumped up and called Ted Cruz is a wussy. Only, again, it's the word that starts with a different letter. And Trump assented that that was true, and he repeated it. My, my, how things have changed out on the campaign trail. Uh, We're also given, I know we're switching around a lot here, but we have to do it, time constraint. Bill Clinton, uh, asterisk, Bill Clinton is reportedly livid with the Hillary campaign message. And he wants people fired and he's trying to walk the line between doing, uh, you know, acting appropriately and butting out, but also doing what he can to make sure that he gets what he needs. What he needs is, even though he's an old man, he knows he's going to get a a lot of ass and a billion dollars if he gets back in the White House. Anyone doubt that? Uh, and he wants desperately to be back in the White House. Anyone doubt that? Uh, and uh, <clears throat> Bill wants to fire a lot of the top campaign people because he thinks the campaign's gone very poorly. I happen to agree with him on that. The asterisk, of course, is the Bill Clinton, to whom I referred, is the first elected president of the United States ever to be impeached. The impeached Bill Clinton. Bill impeached Clinton. Impeached Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton impeached. Impeach, 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 impeach. Bill impeach Clinton. The impeached Bill Clinton. That one. Um, the day after, when we're together tomorrow, the Democratic primary electorate I mentioned this a few moments ago, turns 44% non-white. The largest non-white audience the Democrats have yet faced in the primary process would be uh, either Iowa or New Hampshire, obviously. And I think they're separated by a point demographically on the basis of race and one is 93 and the other 92 and the other one's 94 percent white and as of two hours 15 minutes from now the democrat electorate is going to become 44 percent non-white okay jay why do you mention it what does it mean Well, I don't know exactly, but I know exactly that it means a lot. I know that whatever you were talking about and however you were acting and however you did prioritize your message and whatever arguments you were making and whatever your campaign sounded like, I know it's going to sound like something different when your campaign audience is 44% non-white. You have any ideas? You know how to reach me. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I realize I feel the pressure here. The time for me to make my picks is bearing in on me, uh, and uh, it's probably the first thing I'll do when we finish on the air on Twitter, I do need a few minutes to sit down. I will admit, admit I'm going to make <clears throat> between two and three phone calls, not to networks. I'm I'm going to make them to old friends. Uh, in the business of politics and say, I-, "I have a question, what do you know about this? What do you know about that? What do you know about this and from which I'm going to make my picks One of the thing about picking the picks is how many picks do I make? How many picks does Peter pack a picker make if Peter picks a picker packer picks uh you know eight guys like why do I open myself? you know if I pick you know if I pick six out of seven? I'm going to get noise tomorrow that I I wasn't right. I was wrong because I got one out of seven wrong. So my question is, since I have something of a reputation to defend here, not much of one, but since I have something of a reputation to defend, should I guard it selfishly and do what other people do? Should I give you one, two, three, and then go turtle on you? Or do I do what the big boys do? which is to give you most, if not all, of the picks. These are the pressures, the broadcast pressures on me every day. Um, We're sitting here today, and it's February 9th. You've seen recently, you may have noticed how quickly the time do go. Huh? In less than three weeks. In less than three weeks, we will have something called Super Tuesday. And it's 18 states on one day. There is no time to pull an Iowa or a New Hampshire. There's only time to try and you know allocate your time and your money and all of that. But it's an impossible task. That's another dimension of reason why Iowa, New Hampshire, and then South Carolina all mean something, because once those first three happen, those are the impressions made that the people in 18 states, right after North Carolina, we're going to be staring down the barrel of a day when 18 states have their primaries on the same day. Don't you love it so?
2: This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Here is, I promise partners, some real insight, okay? Inside politics, insight. There was no Trump ground game in Iowa. We now know that. I will tell you, there is no Trump ground game in New Hampshire. They put together a phony Wizard of Oz, don't look at that man behind the curtain. They put together what appears to be a phony get out the vote drive. The Trump campaign was seeking volunteers for their ground game on Sunday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Anyone in the business will tell you how absolutely ludicrous this is. One of the greatest experts in the industry said a couple days ago, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you don't have several months, probably a year, and uh, probably $100 million, you can't build a ground game. It cannot be done. He's good at building walls, right? And I don't doubt it. Donald Trump can build a wall. I'm not going to question that. What he cannot build is a ground game if he won't write a check for it and he doesn't believe in it. And I saw him say... In a uh, moment, I'm sure he wishes he could take back. It was an aside on camera. He said, you know, I don't really believe that. They asked him about the ground game. And they said, Mr. Mr. Trump, you really didn't have a ground game in Iowa. You know, and he goes, that didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter. What about New Hampshire? Now you learned your lesson. You're going to do it in New Hampshire. I don't know. You know, the most important thing is the product. It's the candidate. He's not wrong about that. The most important thing may be your heart. But suppose you have no lungs nor liver, I would say you've got a problem. I'd say you have to call in sick tomorrow with no lung and no no lungs and no liver, but you have your heart, that's the most important thing. yeah, the candidate is the most. The product is the most important thing, but you also need lungs. you need a spleen, you know, and the ground game is pretty much your liver or your spleen, and he said out loud, "I don't believe in it." One of the big questions tonight that you're going to be looking for and seeing is whether or not Trump turned out his vote. Because to be for someone means nothing unless they're going to sleep with you. And in politics, I'm glad you're for me. You know, you want to come home with me now in my car or yours? Well, I... Well, why don't you call me in an hour? Well, why don't we go in separate cars and don't worry if you see me take a turn off on the highway. Look, you're either voting for me or not. And, you know, that's what a voter ID and turnout effort is all about. Now, you know what? It is far less important. Granted, far less important in a focused, concentrated uh, geophysical area like New Hampshire than it is in very rural Iowa, with three times the space, the acreage. True. But there has never been a campaign in 150 years where it is a non-factor about identifying your voters and whether or not you're busing them or personally driving them to the polls, at least making sure you've talked to them Every day in the preceding three or four days, it's saying, You're going to vote, right? You're going to vote, right? You're going to vote, right? And you say, You know, Hazel, have you been today? Did you go to vote? If you haven't been, you know, can we get you a ride? I don't know. We're going to see whether that matters. Meanwhile, look for one other thing Hillary Clinton's weakest vote so far, weakest vote has been young women. (laughs)
2: This This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.